As a leader, it is so easy to surround yourself with people who think just like you, act like you, and make the same choices you make, believing that similarity in thought strengthens your purpose and goal. Because everyone is like you, it is easy for a single contradictory voice to be ignored, or worse, punished because it speaks truth. When a single voice calls out wrong, not for personal gain, not to shame, or for any selfish reason, because truth calls out wrong, it is like the voice that separated light from darkness. The question is, as leaders, are we so far in darkness that we cannot recognize the light of truth? Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Welcome everyone to this week's lesson on the last five kings of Israel. We're going to be talking a little bit about the last five kings that were presented in lesson three. But before we do, I'd like for you each to introduce yourself and tell us your favorite autumn activity. My name is Kayla and my favorite autumn activity is spending time with family. I always go to uh, see my grandma and my aunts and uncles. Uh, my name is Elroy, and my favorite autumn activity would just be um, going hiking, you know, and seeing uh, the leaves change. My name is Vanessa, and my favorite autumn activity is going to pick apples so that I can give them to people and they can make me apple pies. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Put them to work. Mm -hmm. My favorite autumn activity is anything outdoors. So if we could do hiking or camping or staying out by a lake, the weather is perfect in this part of the world. and. Seeing the leaves change is also another great thing. Vanessa, would you uh, offer us our opening prayer and read our memory text? Okay. Um, the memory text is Jeremiah 22, verse 16. And it says, He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says the Lord? Let's pray. Señor Padre Dios, gracias por darnos esta oportunidad de... A reunirnos a estudiar tu palabra y darnos Espíritu Santo el entendimiento para aprender estas cosas y explicar uh, todo lo que aprendamos a nuestras vidas. En el nombre de Cristo Jesús. Amén. Okay. So as we get into it, we're talking about the last five kings of Israel. And these individuals were Josiah, Jehoahaz, and you know, forgive me if I don't have the exact pronunciation. But it, it looks like Jeho Jehoahaz, uh, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah. And what we uh, have been introduced to was kind of the different personality types that seem to secede one another as we talk about the last five kings who ruled over Israel before they kind of, it kind of fell. So as we're looking at those five kings and from what we've gathered from the lesson, what exactly is it that you think it takes to make a good leader? You kind of put others before yourself, you know, um, uh, especially if you're a king, you're thinking about the, the needs of the nation. And so you're not necessarily thinking about your own gain or, you know, your own sense of power, but you're trying to lead by example. So servant, servanthood or servant leadership, I think, is what makes a good leader. I... I saw in, in the content specific to that um, that someone who can see the 
silver linings mm -hmm. of a good out of very bad situations mm -hmm. is a good leader because it, it will help people to get through and, and, and grow. I feel like some, when there's bad or tragedies or problems, it, we can tend to freeze. And so a good leader is the person who's like, hey, this is the benefit of this. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving forward. And from our first example from the list of kings, which is uh, Josiah, right. given the, the, uh, the reign that came before him, mm -hmm. we could pretty much say that he had some pretty big shoes to fill in, in, the, fa in the sense that he had to figure out what good leadership was going to look like, mm -hmm. especially if he wanted to lead well. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at the examples, we're talking about giving a good, ex uh, setting a good example. We're talking about finding the silver lining, making a bad situation better. Um, what do we see that Josiah kind of implemented in his characteristics of leadership? I think he had to be very strategic. Strategic, okay. So as we discussed, he did not have a good example before him with his father and his grandfather. So he came to, to rule and had to look at the situation and say, what are the most important things that need to change and what can I do to inspire my nation to follow me? Yes. Um, so we looked at like, the issue of idolatry was one of, the, uh, one of the biggest problems that they were facing and uh, losing track of God's commands and what it meant to actually keep them. Um, in Second Chronicles 34, it, it, it seems to almost um, present his uh, strategy or what he identifies as things that he needs to do in order. So the first thing that you read, just, just in the order of the verses, is the example of David. So he realized these people, yeah, he was my father and my grandfather, but they're not examples to me. Right. So fi identifying a role model to follow was the first thing. And then it says that he saw, he took time to seek God. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that was foundational. And then all the rest followed, right. destroying idolatry and taking it down. He, he built himself a good foundation there between focusing on David and taking the time to, to establish a connection with God. And um, this leads us into our next question, which is why is reformation important? And it's funny you say strategy because in, if you're coming out of the situation or the leadership style that Josiah was coming out of, you had to revamp some things in order for him to have like a clean slate to kind of start fresh. Mm -hmm. So the question is, why is reformation important? And that could be in regard to leadership or specifically in Josiah's case. What, what are some of the reasons? I think of a lot of things in business uh, terms. Okay. And if there's to be a measure of success, you have to assess where you're at and wherever the change is needed, commit to follow through on that. So when I think refor reformation can become sound very religious to people and mm -hmm. and it's like... Reform. Right. Like, oh, there's something terribly wrong here. And yeah. it's more, for me, it's more like taking stock. Right. And if you, if you want anything to improve or increase or whatever it is, um, like, you know, those quarterly um, check-ins in, in, a, in a business, there's right. quarterly reports. You yes. check how you're doing, and whatever didn't work, you change. Right. So to me, that's what Reformation, like, and Reformation. I, and, I, and I like that. Good. I like that angle because Reformation gives you an opportunity for evaluation. Right. Before you change, before you improve, you have to see what's broken. You have to see right. what needs fixing. You have to have been checking in mm -hmm. to know how to quickly identify those points that need to change but also building new standards. So once you've 
seen what's been going wrong, mm -hmm. you have to now set the bar, not to just determine how to fix it, but how to, because we don't fix things overnight, right? Mm -hmm. We have to now be able to build new standards and also planning on how to maintain those standards. And I think all that helps identify what reformation is. Other, any other examples of how that manifested through Josiah's experience? Well, it's hard for me to look at it. I um, know right now through Josiah's experience, I know Vanessa went the, the business route. I would say the home route. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, let's take it back to the Josiah. Josiah saw a home. He saw a situation that was broken. You know, there wasn't any uh, renovations, if you will. Cracks started to happen along the walls. I mean, the place just got messy and dirty, abandoned. It was mistreated. And so he took an assessment and he said, you know, how did it get here? You know, and what can I do to restore it? So, yeah, you go back to Second uh, Chronicles 34, as uh, Vanessa referred to earlier. And, uh, you know, uh, verse 3 pretty much says, from the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't, um, the verse before that I think says, he didn't look to the left or his right. He didn't go and take, you know, advice from this uh, particular person or that particular nation. He went straight to God, straight to the, to the source. And I think after that, he was able to get counsel and, um, and he sought repentance. And that, that really ties us into the next question, which is based on Second Chronicles 34, what were the components of Josiah's reform that are cent central to any spiritual re reformation? And so we're talking about he got rid of everything that related to idolatry. You mentioned that. Uh, second, he made a covenant before the Lord to keep his commandment and his testimonies and uh, his statutes within his heart and soul. Mm -hmm. But what I find interesting, too, is that this, I mean, he was a young boy, so I'm not quite sure at which stage he did this mm -hmm. in. But if it was anywhere within that youth time period, I find that very encouraging because this young man mm -hmm. recognized something was wrong and he knew he had to do something to fix it. So what was everyone doing wrong that caused them to lead them down right. this path? It looks like this young man says, you know, read to me the law. Start reading me the law. Right. Let's get back into what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And the basics. The basics. Yeah. And so it looked like Josiah's reform had the right foundation. And so let's talk about an experience that you may have had where you had to say, because we don't always stop and say, how do I get back to the drawing board? Was there an experience you've ever had where you, you had that aha moment, like, wait a minute, the most obvious thing needs to happen here? On, on the reading of that chapter, Second Chronicles 34, what, what jumps out at me is his humility. Okay. Um, you're not going to come to uh, the conclusion that there's room for improvement if you have no humility whatsoever. Very good. So there was humility um, lacking there, and humility opens the way for conviction. Mm -hmm. And if you're convicted, then you can repent. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like almost a domino effect. Right. Um, but you have to be willing in your in your heart. That's what, what we close our hearts to the idea mm -hmm. that I need I need to grow or I need to learn or I need to change or I need something outside of my own wisdom and strength. And I like that you, you brought out this, this theme of humility because I'm thinking as a young man, a young child, where does that wisdom come from? Mm -hmm. what, you know, how did he know to humble himself and to say, okay, maybe we're doing this all wrong. Let's go back to the law and, and figure out what our instruction is supposed to be. I think that that's, that's uh, paramount for, for what this young man had to encounter. Um, in our next question, it basically is leadership 101, right? They express what is the power of a good example. So now that we know 
um, that setting a good example is important for good leadership. What is the power of good example? And of the monarchs of Israel, who provided the best example? So let's start with what kind of impact can being a good example have? It affects the rest of the nation. I mean, you see a lot of decisions with kings, especially here with Josiah. You know, he um, tells the people to repent and tells them to take down the wooden images and everything like that. But I realize it always starts with the king. Even if you go back to the business model, everything starts with your leadership. And based on their behavior, based on how um, they go and treat others, uh, the, the subordinates, it affects everything and everyone under it or them. So that model always comes back to the leader. So in this case, Josiah, you know, has uh, a repentance and aha moment. And I think afterwards, you know, the people or the nation um, does as well. So. And how hard must it have been to set a good example in that environment where people were just, you know, kind of doing what they enjoyed doing for a couple of generations, it seemed. Yeah. And now this young kid is now trying to set this new example with reformation. Mm -hmm. Okay. That must have been hard. It was very tough. But there must have been some result that came from those new actions that people had to have somehow been in tune with. Right. I mean, for me, the, um, I thought of the analogy of the North Star, okay. you know, and it's hard for us to imagine having electricity and, and traveling by plane now. But it's like the, the, the good example is, is the due north. It's like a compass. If you're completely lost or you're on a ship at night, there's hundreds of people on board and there's total darkness, mm -hmm. you don't know where to go. It's like, that's what the North Star, like that's the good example, the power mm -hmm. of the good example. Right. And so I feel like as much as they were probably de desensitized spiritually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was it, his, he must have been so completely different mm -hmm. that it, they couldn't help but, you know, just follow. Right, and, and, and it's, it's also true that and I'm assuming in, in these time periods, they were craving leadership anyway. Right. And you know, it seemed like pagan worship was what they turned to mm. as, a, as a result of lack of leadership. Mm -hmm. and, and you can see when you know, later on, um, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim uh, came into, into leadership, they kind of fall back into it. Yeah. And it's like, what was he not doing? What did he not maintain that kind of not provide. Let, provide that led them back astray? I think some of it's authenticity. They could tell when jo um, Josiah came into power that he wanted to do what was right, and he led by his own example. And as she mentioned, humility and all that. But I, I believe that the people could see his, his authentic uh, desire to do what was right. Mm -hmm. And in, in his leadership, he cared about the people, right. whereas the example of his father and grandfather, they didn't care. They It was... There was a lack, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. So people are drawn to that. To draw the parallel between good leadership and how you lead, they're talking here about how does helping the poor and needy help us know the Lord? And um, if someone could read Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen, if you have it. I can read it. He judged the cause of the poor and needy, and then it was well. Was, th was not this knowing me, says the Lord. Okay. So when it says, was not this knowing me, the example of um, judge the cause of the poor and needy, mm -hmm. and that was well. So they're saying that was a good thing. Mm -hmm. Was this not knowing me? So when, when the question is asked, how does helping the poor and needy help us know the Lord, what are we saying here? To help them requires discernment. Mm -hmm. And that discernment comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. And so as 
you are empowered in your willingness and your humbleness and and um, you know your openness to be to do what is right and be used by God as you, as kind of like riding a bicycle you learn how to ride a bike by riding a bike so it's kind of like as you discern what's right and wrong and go about what the Lord leads you to do to make it right, you are simultaneously like osmosis, like mm -hmm. knowing his character because his character is the law right. and his character is the difference between right and wrong. Right. And, and isn't it true, as we've been saying, selfishness was kind of prevalent in these previous leaders. They didn't really have a connection to the needy or the poor mm -hmm. or what their needs were. And so when you're not really concerned with the needs of your people, selfish desires, eh, they're out there, worshiping, paying guys, we know it's wrong, but I'm not really worried about that, I'm living the life I'm living, I know what I want to do, they're doing what they want to do. When you turn back to Christ, and you understand who Christ is supposed to be, and that manifests in your life, then maybe now you're interacting with others differently, and needs are more obvious, they stand out more, and you're trying to see what you can do to reach those needs. So when those leaders, in their selfishness, kind of you know, separated themselves from that need, they really didn't know how to reach them. They didn't know how to reach the poor or how to reach mm -hmm. the needy. I and think that's found in the prayer of open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Yes, Like, yes. the closer you are to God, the more he can show you that. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, I realized you almost put on a spectrum. It's like when you look at the situation and the position of the kings, they often didn't feel like they had need. You know, every time Jeremiah or, um, told one of the kings to turn and repent, I think uh, the term in um, the version of my Bible says they would stiffen their necks. It was like, oh, I don't need this. You know, like, mm -hmm. this is not what I need. I'm king. Are you serious? Ha <laughs> ha. You know, and so the poor and the needy is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's how a king laughs. But I mean, you look at the poor and the needy. The, the kingly laugh. The kingly laugh, right? And so, but you look at the poor and the needy, and it's that's almost the spirit that we're supposed to come to God with. Because mm -hmm. he says, blessed are the poor in spirit later on in the New Testament. And needy is just always in need of something greater, you know, in, in need of a savior, not necessarily in need to be big or rich mm -hmm. and famous and powerful. So... I think that's truly where God is um, in having a poor spirit and always being in need. Okay. Um, our next question. In 2 Chronicles 36, 11 through 14, let's start, let's start locating that. What spiritual principles of apostasy are revealed in those verses? Okay. 2 Chronicles 36, 11 through 14. 14. So when we're talking about spiritual principles of apostasy. We're talking about, you know, separating from religious beliefs. What, what sort of things are, 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 are brought to our attention there? Well, it says in verse 12, he did not humble himself. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's literally, either you humble yourself or you don't. Right. That's it. And he wouldn't. Um, and, and refusing to humble yourself is, for me, the root of, of the rest of it. Right. Um, uh, and it continues, I mean, verse 13, and he also rebelled against King, King Nebuchadnezzar. I think at that time, God kept telling, uh, kept telling Jeremiah to tell him, look, you need to be taken captive. Mm -hmm. This is part of the mm -hmm. process. Submit. And to yeah. submit, and he didn't want to submit. So. And submission is really what we're talking about here mm -hmm. in humility, submitting to the will of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the submission to the will of Christ and being willing to be molded later on mm -hmm. in, in some of our studies. But it's, it's a prevalent theme here. And, and even when you're hearing that you need to submit to the enemy, you know, if God is telling you there's got to be a reason mm -hmm. when we're steering away from it, it's because we're, we're really not sure or we really don't trust what that reason is or what's going to happen when we make that decision. So, so when, 
when you start to apostatize yourself, okay, spiritually, mm -hmm. you are led astray without having that moral code. Mm -hmm. Now decisions are your own. They're not necessarily decisions made in a, in a, after having communed with God, right. finding out what your purpose is. What or how can we relate that to, to a present day situation? You know, maybe, maybe it's not, you know, submitting to a foreign king, but today, what do we find ourselves inadvertently perhaps apostatizing ourselves from? Do we, do we sometimes find that we make little, you know, decisions that lead us astray? We didn't really think it would. We find where we are later and we say, oh, I see how that happened. I saw what happened there. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, some of us can determine where that mistake was made. Others can't. And, and how do we find the balance of, of being more aware mm -hmm. when that happens? Well, that comes from seeking the will of God, right? Right, right. And daily trusting Him with your decisions and learning to, to read the Bible and understand how, they, how, how it, the words do apply to your daily life. Right. Finding that power. And, you know, I, I, I like the um, one example that I hear often, especially from young people and even, and even older individuals, when you know the issue of working maybe say working on the sabbath mm -hmm. and you know you, you have a job and you've been asked to now take a shift on sabbath or come in on a saturday and you know that that's not really the right thing to do but you've got finances you've got a family you have to take care of if you say no that could mean the loss of your job you know i i try to equate that level of decision and it's not the same but you know i'm not a king never have been probably won't ever be but imagine having to give your entire kingdom over to someone yeah. and, you know, just being okay with that because that's what God asked you to do. You're giving away your, yeah. your capability of earthly riches or of earthly provisions because you don't want to, to make that, you know. It's also family heritage and family name, and that's, that comes with a lot of honor and, and respect and right. to give that up because God tells you to. Right. But, but these are decisions that we end up making little ones that we don't we don't we don't recognize the weight that it holds when it separates us from our religious positioning and our spirituality god warned him though he said if you do not submit mm -hmm. the city will be burned mm -hmm. and like he told him exactly what would happen mm -hmm. so i think i personally i grew up going to church mm -hmm. um but I didn't really become a Christian until years after I was baptized at the age of 13. And I made all of my major life decisions by myself. Mm -hmm. And I got myself to exactly where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I had the degree I wanted. I had the job I wanted. I lived where I wanted. And I was miserable. Mm -hmm. So I think what it, what it takes for us to not apostatize is to live out the negative results of our actions mm -hmm. and then realize, you know, me, it's the question at the end of the day is, will you act independently of God or not? So sometimes you have to make that mistake to see the weight? Not sometimes. I think everybody has their own experience. In, of, in one way or another. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and when that happens, um, the aha moment yeah. that you experience, not everybody pays attention to it. Mm -hmm. Not well, everybody learns right. from it. Right. And, and that's how, you know, some of them are so subtle, we end up going further and further and further and further away. And I imagine mm -hmm. that this is something, the, the heritage of these kings 
had experienced. Right, because yeah. it was one after the other. Yeah. Like yeah. he wasn't, he didn't not submit to God because only of himself or his life. He had the bad example right. of the previous kings who also had not submitted to God. And, and right after Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, each one of these failed right after Josiah. Mm -hmm. And you wonder how could they have failed after having had Josiah. a good example? Because, you know, Josiah should have failed, Same. you know, for not having the good examples, but he chose not to look at them. Wow. He chose to look look like back. This was their father, right. their, right. you know, their grandfather, if right. you will. And, and, right. and they still, you know, that's tough. I'm like, if I didn't take the advice of my own father and it was good advice, yeah. I'm like, what does that say about me, you know? Uh, another another piece that I just, I connected with as I, as I went through it was, it seemed like they weren't just independently ruling themselves either. Because like Pharaoh was able to step in and say, uh, right? okay, you're not really doing what I want, so I'm going to put your brother here. I was like, And then wait, Nebuchadnezzar, what? he could just show up and say, <laughs> right, you're right, seized. Right. <laughs> I don't want your land. Right. Yeah. And so there must have been this immense pressure that they're leading under, that they're ruling under. And, you know, when we bring that back to a modern day concept, what is that overlording um, relationship that we have with society? on how we will move through our daily lives and our daily decisions. Society has its own, um, its own agenda, mm -hmm. right? And so I think the reason why it was so, like, this random pharaoh was like, hey, I'm in charge, and then Nebuchadnezzar is like, hey, I'm in charge, is because we fail to realize spiritual frailty makes everything else frail. Mm -hmm. Your military, you know, strategy, your assessment of your kingdom and all that other jazz that goes into it. So it's kind of the same way with us today. It's like, if, my, if I'm spiritually frail, all the other p parts of my life, I'm not able to administrate them properly because there's no foundation there. And so that's how like society, you know, get rich, have plastic surgery, right, whatever it is. take care of yourself, get a big house when there's only two people who sleep there. Mm. Don't be concerned about the poor. It's kind of like the pressure on us. Um, and if we're not if we're not spiritually strong in our core, mm -hmm. we'll end up caving. And as we as we look at how though the symptoms of Judah's rebellion, okay, mm -hmm. reflects in our culture and society, I guess that's what we're saying here. Those right. things kind of just pop out, one right after the other, and we're seeing we're seeing them manifest. No, sure. I would say two as things. Closing, yeah. I realize one we we have an issue with submitting to someone or something greater than us. And then two, we have an issue with submitting to someone or something greater than us that we can't even see, you know? And I think because of that, our own human reasoning, it, it blocks us from accessing blessings that God wants to give us, you know? Which is what I was gonna say, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. That's perfect description of our society today, where we have our celebrity idols and we have, we're, thirst, we're lusting after material gain. And it's like, we don't, we don't realize how worthless all of it is. Thank you guys so much for participating in this. If you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool, the letter U, dot org. Remember, the goal of Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and for the heart. For Sabbath School U, I'm Mike Martell. <laughs>